Well, for some of you, this is a new season. You've decided to study at Ridley. Welcome. It's great that you're here. For others of you, it's a new semester. So you've been here before, you know the ropes, but nonetheless, there's a certain excitement in your heart as you approach a subject that you've been greatly looking forward to, <coughs> no doubt. <laughs> it's also a moment when we uh, are beginning a new series. For the faculty have decided this semester to work through the discourses from Matthew's Gospel, the large teaching blocks in Matthew's Gospel. And today I'm introducing the series by preaching from Matthew 3 and Mike tomorrow and Thursday will be preaching from the Sermon on the Mount. So it's a new season for some, a new semester for others, a new series for us all and Matthew 3 tells us the beginnings of a new story. The story of Israel is being summed up in the life and ministry of Christ. Matthew is very deliberate in these first few chapters of his gospel to retell something of the story of the Old Testament. In Matthew 1, we get a list of names of those leading up to the birth of Christ. This genealogy summarises the Old Testament and begins to introduce to us Jesus and his birth. In chapter 2, for example, uh, Jesus' family escapes to Egypt because Herod massacres the infants, reminding us of that moment in Exodus chapter 1 when the Pharaoh wanted to massacre infants and Moses was rescued. Chapter 2 uh, of this gospel reminds us too that Jesus' family returns from Egypt to come back to the promised land, just like Moses with the people left Egypt to take the gift that God wanted to give. In Matthew chapter 3, that we've just had read for us, we hear uh, John the Baptist preaching words from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare for the way of the Lord, make paths straight for him. The Old Testament prophet is quoted and gives us reason to think that something is about to be fulfilled. John is wearing clothes like Elijah. He's a prophet of old. And he's leading people, these people of Israel, through the waters of the Jordan River. Just like Israel in days past had walked through the Jordan to enter the land. But the difference with John's preaching is that he is asking people not just to walk through the water, but to have their heart renewed. That Israel of old had presumed upon the Lord and Israel in John's day was presuming upon the Lord as well. Don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't think you can cross your fingers and say, just because I'm distantly related to Abraham, my heart is irrelevant to the Lord. I can tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That's how powerful God is. He does not need you. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
John is coming to preach repentance, the need for a change of heart. But he recognises that he's only the beginning of the presidential motorcade. He says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He'll clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I was once standing on a street corner in Washington DC and the police closed down traffic in all directions and stopped pedestrians crossing. You had to remain on your corner of the intersection. And of course, we're waiting, hoping that something big is going to happen, right? And the first black car passes and then the second black car passes and 10, 15 cars later, the big black car passes. But you kind of knew already that when the first black car passed, that something was expected at the end of the line. And of course, we didn't see who was in the black car. We just imagined <laughs> who we wanted it to be in the big black car. <laughs> After 400 years of silence, God having not spoken directly to his people, here John preaches a new word from the Lord. It seems like the story's about to climax. It seems like John, I beg your pardon, Matthew, in his telling of the story, is recounting the Old Testament to bring us to a climax. How important it is that we retell the story of the Old Testament. In our world, in Australia at least, the basic storyline of the Bible can't be assumed anymore. We need to be reminding people of just the basic data that they might have a framework to understand the ideas that we might try and share. I was at a funeral a couple of years ago and was asked to read Psalm 23, a classic for those who've grown up in the church at least and who think that at a funeral it's important to have these words read. After the, after the service, a fellow came up to me, uh, probably a, a bit younger than me, I'd say early 40s, and he says to me, hey mate, what was that poem you read? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's a, it's a poem from the Bible called a psalm, Psalm 23. And he looks at me like he'd never heard the word psalm or Bible before and he goes, yeah, like I should read that one day. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd love you to. I actually don't know that you know what you just said you wanted to read. It, there was just a blankness in his face, thinking, oh, there might be some good poetry that I can use in a funeral one day. <laughs> we, we can't take for granted that people even know the basic story. So when people come to read Matthew's Gospel, they're not understanding that this is the climax of a long work that God has done with and through his people. We're waiting for the great end of the presidential motorcade that turns out to be a bit of a dud. Then Jesus came from Galilee. What? From, from Galilee? From the back blocks? Then Jesus 
came from Galilee. It's like in the Wizard of Oz, when you finally meet the wizard, you're going, is that what, who everyone was scared of? It's a real letdown. And when Jesus comes in 3 verse 13 from Galilee, he doesn't come to give something, he asks for something as if he had need. He says, John, can you baptise me? And John says, no, 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 you've got it the wrong way around. I'm, I'm supposed to be the person who's receiving from you. But Jesus says, no, it must be to fulfil all righteousness. So John consents. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. He submits. He does what is right and allows himself to be baptised by John. But of course, the language of fulfilling righteousness is richer than just submitting. Some years back, there was a Rembrandt exhibition down here at the National Gallery. And they'd devised the room very carefully. You walked in and there was a charcoal sketch that Rembrandt had drawn, the outline of the Apostle Peter, I think it was. So you arrive and you see just the bare bones outline of a character, of a figure. Then you turn to go into the exhibition and on the opposite wall is the colour oil painting of the Apostle Peter that Rembrandt finally painted after having first drawn the sketch. In a sense, in that exhibition, we'd come in and saw the Old Testament outline and then we turn and see the New Testament colour. Righteousness is revealed. We, we have demonstrated what righteousness in full technicolour looks like. Christ fulfills, colours in, finishes up, demonstrates what it means to submit to the law to lead a righteous life. But it's not just that Jesus is submitting or fulfilling the law. He becomes the representative leader of the nation. He fulfills what exactly God wanted his people to be like. As soon as Jesus was baptised, verse 16, he went up out of the water and at that moment the heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is a great apocalyptic moment for the heavens are being torn open and what normally is not seen is now seen and heard. At that moment, the heavens were opened and a, a spirit like a dove descends. Not only descends, but rests on Jesus in his baptism. The spirit marks the beginning of the new world. The new world is breaking through into this world and alights on Jesus to give him power. And it's not just the Spirit descends, but the Father speaks and says, verse 17, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Quoting from Psalm 2, This is my Son, whom I love. 
And quoting from Isaiah 42, verse 1, with him I am well pleased. This voice of the Father from heaven says, this one is my son and this one is my servant. Indeed, in Isaiah 42, the servant receives the spirit, the spirit of power, in order that he might begin his mission. The father is saying here, this is my son and my servant, this is my king on a mission to save, to bring justice, to fulfil righteousness. And it begins today, the father says. Matthew has been summarising the story of the Old Testament for us and trying to explain how this son and servant, this king on a mission, connects into that bigger story. Jesus fulfils that story and summarises the story in his own life and service. But it's not just that this is describing the story of Israel. Of course, here the spirit with the father and the son tell the story of God as well. The Father who begets the Son, the Spirit who empowers the Son. This is not just an insight into the story of Israel, this is an insight into the life of God. This apocalyptic moment shows us something about who God is. Father, Son and Spirit. So it's no surprise that Matthew's Gospel ends with Jesus asking those who follow him to make disciples, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit. Baptism's all about the Father, the Son and the Spirit, as we discover in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew's not just wanting to tell the story of Israel, he's wanting to help us understand our part in the life of God. He's telling the story of God as well as the story of Israel. Bottom line, what's Matthew chapter 3 trying to teach us? That you and I, friends, are deeply connected. Deeply connected. That's what mean, being a Christian means. We're connected into the story of Israel. We're connected into God's life. We're connected to each other as baptised believers. Our world craves deep connection. We try it in pathetic ways through social media to find a connection globally or locally, but actually that connection never can satisfy like this kind of connection can. Our baptism is not just a statement of Christ in our heart. When we're baptised, we receive a gift from God showing us our place in God's plans and our place in God's life and our place in God's church. Baptism gives to us a gift of connection. As I've been saying in my theology class this morning, you tell me what you believe about baptism and I'll tell you what you believe about everything. It's that important. Deep connection is something that we can experience and that we can offer to the world. So why do we come to church or to chapel? 
Well, part of the reason we join together here or uh, in your local fellowship on Sundays is so that we can tell the story of Israel and keep that story alive. And we do it, of course, through Bible readings or we do it through the prayer before the Lord's Supper when we recite, in a sense, in thanksgiving, the story of Israel, the story of the Bible. But when we come to chapel or when we come to church, we're not just reciting the story of Israel, we're also telling the story of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In days gone by, the way you understood a church service was the first third was about the Father, the middle third was about the Son and the last third was about the Spirit. And you chose songs that helped you understand how Father, Son and Spirit relate and you prayed prayers in the name of the Son through the power of the Spirit. Our job here in chapel is to tell the story of Israel, but it's also to tell and enjoy the story of God of which we have been made parts. God's not far away. We are deeply connected to him even now. And indeed, friends, we come to chapel so that that deep connection we have with the story of Israel and with the Lord is one that we can share with each other. We discover who we are when we discover the deep connections that we share. Coming to chapel is like a spiritual gym. We're learning resistance training. We're learning how to be God's people so that in the world we are a more effective team. We're a more effective army. We're more effective leaders. We're more effective servants. As A.B. said, we come to chapel to be equipped and to be encouraged. That's certainly true. We also come to chapel so that we can be part of something bigger. A lifetime of service starts today. Let me pray. Oh, please, Heavenly Father, by your Son and through your Spirit, help us to know who we are in your plans, that we belong to Israel as branches grafted in, that we belong to you, baptised in the name of Father, Son and Spirit, that we're here to pursue, Lord Jesus, your mission as the suffering servant. Please may this semester be a time in chapel and in college more generally, when we learn how to be your people, equipped and encouraged, knowing how to take our part in your glorious gospel purposes. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.